Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this edition of the Software People Stories. My guest today is Ram Kumar Venkateshan, who is the Vice President of Technology at MIQ Digital. In this conversation, Ram Kumar talks about getting into software to have greater flexibility in terms of choosing companies to join, the qualities he looks for when hiring, and what does empathy for users mean for back-end teams, how to effectively organize teams that produce microservices and consume microservices, evolving safety nets for development practices as an organization grows, and from his own experience, the importance of being adaptable in one's career progression. And finally, talk about handling stress at work and the future of software as a career. Listen on. Hello Ram, welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories. I'm really happy to have you as a guest and share your story you know, with our listeners. We can start with a brief introduction on how you got into IT and maybe background and anything else that you may want to share in your quick career trajectory. Okay, okay. Yeah, thank you Shiv for having me on your uh, podcast, glad to be here. And um, yeah, I'm Ram Kumar. I currently head the technology team at MIQ. Uh, brief, um, I think your question, how would I get into software? So when I started my career a couple of decades back, software was in its very nascent stages in India. Still, I think the opportunities for software were more than the hardware. I did my graduation in um, AAA. Hmm. And typically the opportunities that we had for triple engineers was to sort of get into um, some of the government um, organizations in um, electric um, or since software was just starting out, get into that. And I always wanted to sort of have the flexibility to sort of maybe move around the world, move around cities. And I felt uh, the software industry provided that. And so I went for my higher education in the U.S., but I always wanted to come back to India. And at that time, the number of opportunities in software more. So I thought I'll uh, sort of increase my likelihood of returning to India if I went into software, whether it's the hardware. And even I think after 20 years, even now, I think the majority of uh, positions available are more in software than hardware. Like it's changed significantly. Now we have the big Intel's and the Qualcomm, Motorola, et cetera here still I think vast majority in software. So that's how I got into software to have more flexibility for myself. And um, I, I think for me, uh, I was able to express myself more. I think this is again my personal opinion in software much more quickly than in uh, hardware. And I felt another reason to be in software. Yeah, that's interesting. So 
other than this if you had a choice would you have continued in hardware or explored more in hardware yeah the second reason that i uh, i said that um, software helped me to put things into practice much more quickly that is again my perception so although i my bachelor's was in triple e i did my masters and i actually enjoyed that more and i think i did even better there in the uh, software okay then i'll probably come back to your thoughts on iot where uh, hardware is also becoming you know, more and more software yeah yeah um yeah incidentally in my uh, previous company we started working on iot project was an iot how to do predictive analysis on right, when the device should be ideally maintained before it actually breaks down what is the optimal time to maintain etc and it was a software company we had nothing to do with hardware and uh, i think that's uh, sort of becoming uh, i think maybe the lines are getting blurred i know some iot companies which do sort of both and um, traditionally it might have been much more separate yeah i think uh, not only iot right? i think even networking that we know like i think now it's becoming software defined uh, networking is becoming a much bigger market sort of then the uh, traditional networking and things is core etc also making those transition so were you also working in the us or after graduation you just came back here i worked there in um, oracle right after my graduation so i worked in different teams in oracle from first lane in supply chain applications the erp applications then in the oracle database team for 11 years i was there yeah okay so how do you find the transition from say the applications to a database team which is probably more of a, an infrastructure or a backend yeah i think that was my very very early stages of the career and that was a sort of a change that i wanted to do but in hindsight that is one of the things that actually doesn't maybe make that much of a difference the reason when i went into that and today also i see a lot of people having those uh, preferences right the reason i went into that at that point i thought that i wanted to code in data structures and algorithms and mm-hmm. the database team was going to be more likely to provide me the opportunity but now after two decades i feel that i think it, it's not that big a factor i think every software has uh, every software every product every company has great uh, opportunities to do great work so yeah i think in hindsight that's been a big learning for me and one of my colleagues used to say that at the end it's all logic right uh, he used to say at the end it's just if then else mm-hmm. and whatever thing that we are working on whatever software that we are working on and that perspective has also helped me sort of hire people also right as and look for specific things that they done back end or have they done this particular thing on this database or etc look for more um, sort of broad logical thinking and ability to learn or adaptability because i think what what is there five years back won't be there now and again what is there now won't be there five years from now hadoop which is big five years back is uh, sort of getting less traction now like spark is mm-hmm. getting much more prevalent now and we at current uh, mit company as well are on the journey to transition so i think it it helped me to adapt to the newer different technology different uh, product and all but i think that ability of adaptability was more important than the sort of the actual underlying technology or algorithms or okay. so from your experience what would be your advice for someone who wants to let's say switch 
from applications to either backend or systems or vice versa are there things that they need to unlearn when they move in addition to being adaptable yeah i remember my manager's advice when i had this conversation with him about moving uh, he was my manager in the application division so he sort of asked me to make the choice right so he said yeah you can work on like data structures 24 by 7 look at whether that is what you enjoy or do you do you like solutioning right coming up with products that solve customer problems and would you be enjoying that so at that time i did say i would like to do both that was an easy answer but i think that distinction is going to be there right? if you are in in the back end you are going to look at a lot of uh, performance and high availability and sort of a lot of the Uh, those kinds of non-functional requirements, and you have to have a liking for that. And if you're in the application, you're building great user experiences. The you you probably have to innovate much more faster, do quick prototypes, take it for take it to the market, analyze the customer feedback, and all that. So I think maybe depending on the people's preference, I think they can choose that. although i think it's not a black or white right both needs both types of even if the back end you need to understand the customer requirements and even at the front end you need to be caring about uh, non functional requirements so yeah i think it depends on the person's uh, preference yeah that's uh, interesting ram um, but the uh, empathy for the user that we normally say whenever you are building something understanding what they want or how it is going to be used is that more when you do applications or even when you are creating back end or system software how do you get that or how do you understand the usage scenarios okay i, th- I think that uh, right it, it's normally perceived as empathy for users are more in the application right and less so at the back end but i don't think it needs to be that way or it should be that way right so the customer of the back end services are the application teams mm-hmm. and the empathy for that user needs to be there and i think the end user's empathy has to be conveyed back to the sort of the back end teams right and we also have these things happening day in day out and take like like maybe scaling system to meet a 10x requirement or 100x requirement typically it comes to the back end mm-hmm. and empathy for the user has to be there right if if we say that we are able to do only so much response time and beyond that we are not able to or it's going to take time it's going to affect the end application so the end application is some total of everything put together so i think we definitely need the um, empathy of the user to be across the board and find ways to make that happen yeah it's true the trigger for my question was that in some coaching situations what i've come across is that um, when you're talking about an application and talking about business users right from their language or how they use the software or what problems they're trying to solve is a little different and there has to be a kind of a bridge or an understanding of that the second aspect is that many times the tech leads or architects now have fairly strong views in terms of how something should be done at least some of them and uh, when your users are also other technical people there are some conflicts that come up in terms of why i will not do something or why it cannot be done and stuff like that so when i met empathy it was more about the consumers who are also probably other developers and understanding that their needs could also be different and how do we do this 
So have you come across any such situations in your teams? Yeah, so I think empathy for the end customer is slightly easier and it's also stressed out a lot. So many people do it or have to mm-hmm. do it and uh, they are paying customers. right? Mm-hmm. So that also makes that relationship so much easier. They go to sort of cancel the deal and if you're not going to make your product usable according to their expectations. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to maybe backend versus, as you said, the other developers, right? So mm-hmm. we, are, we are in a microservice world. Uh, day in, day out, we are churning out microservices. Mm-hmm. And there, maybe the contract becomes a little bit more negotiable where maybe a difference of opinions are, there's no clear uh, customer, paying customer out there who's going to call the um, shots, right? So I think there it's more difficult, but it's essential there as well. I've seen, uh, I didn't want to specifically take that company in the name. They are an API company. Mm-hmm. So their entire product is an API. Okay. And how much they make it easy to onboard that API. Mm-hmm. Uh, they actually call it out on their company's sort of blog saying okay. that within 15 minutes, you'll be able to take our API and integrate it into your product. And, oh, nice. And their founders used to go to the customer sites. Mm-hmm. And if they are not able to integrate, they'll actually sit and integrate. So they, okay. they can say how much documentation of the API is going to be important. That was a pretty mm-hmm. very revealing thing, saying that how much importance they are giving to APIs and um, uh, technical documentation. And they've even called out error codes mm. uh, being how important thing for the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think error codes and all mm-hmm. also, right? Typically, it comes from the backend systems. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, empathy for the customer is extremely important. I'd like to maybe give one more example, like uh, in Oracle as part of the real application clusters team, one of the mm-hmm. flagship products of Oracle, the Rack database. So there, I remember our VP putting in a very, very senior fellow of I think, IBM. He had joined Oracle mm-hmm. in charge of Oracle error messages. Mm-hmm. because uh, we were sort of losing millions of dollars due to insufficient or incorrect error messages leading to support costs. Oh, okay. Uh, so that had sort of taught me the importance of even how important error messages was and mm-hmm. having empathy for the customer. When, when mm-hmm. we stuck at a problem, you need to tell them what is the problem, what did you do wrong, what exactly you need to do by yourself. And I think the same empathy we bring in into our, even if it's internal teams, building microservices and consuming each other's thing, mm-hmm. I think it'll go a long way. Mm. I want to not take that thread on uh, no, microservices and the empathy and the responsiveness and all that. You've probably seen both the more traditional ways of development and also the newer agile ways of development. When you have a lot of moving pieces, do you think the traditional way may be better because there is more control and more coordination or uh, what has been your formula for balancing the need for quick adaptability and to make sure that the larger orchestration also performs well? Yeah, yeah. I think it uh, makes sense, right? Um, there, There are advantages in the earlier model and um, Fortune 500 companies uh, have been coming out of that earlier model. And uh, now all of us are sort of adopting microservices as, as well as Agile. There are advantages here as well, right? But I think we have to find the right balance for the sort of right company. And the, right, the company might be in different stages of evolution. The engineers, again, might be in different stages of experience and maturity. And so we have to sort of adapt to that. So, and we ourselves in our company have done that. I think uh, two years back when we started the microservices, originally we were, 
Like we had a very monolithic architecture. We moved to Microsoft and uh, we had completely made capabilities as sort of separate teams and then mm-hmm. applications uh, on top of these capabilities were separate teams. So I think what happened was the roadmaps of the capabilities teams were a little bit uh, sort of out of tune with the applications roadmap. Mm. So then we reorganized the uh, teams into consumers and producers of uh, microservices okay. and um, into different pillars. So this gave us the ability to be much more in sync with the apps teams and the microservice teams. Not that only within the pillars, the capabilities will be used, but majority of their use cases will only be within the pillar, but it'll still be built in a generic way. So I think we found sort of the sort of right balance between pure capabilities and apps versus groups of applications and capabilities having sort of a shared vision, a shared roadmap. That's interesting because you already had a platform that was in production and then slowly you moved from monolithic to microservices. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how was that change handled from the internal technical side yeah. and for the users? Was there any impact on that? Yeah. yeah. So from the technical side, basically we sort of came up with the overall architecture of what are the various uh, common things that can be made into microservices and form teams around that. So they started uh, building that. And the applications using them continue to adopt these microservices as per their uh, roadmap. Right? So they prioritized breaking up their application into microservices over several quarters. So there was no impact to the users. And mm. um, underneath the covers, we are sort of replacing the monolith with, uh-huh. uh, and even portions of the monolith with the... So how was testing handled in this scenario? Probably for some time you had both versions of code running and probably some consuming your microservices and some still connecting to the monolith. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we have uh, end-to-end testing like, uh, from the application using Selenium. And then we have API testing for the uh, microservices themselves. Right? So the end-to-end testing continues and they have to work irrespective of the uh, underlying architecture. Mm-hmm. And the API testing is ramped up for the microservices. Hmm. So, and then now we've um, also added these sort of contract testing where the consumer or the application gives a test suite to the microservice team to run before they put their things into production, right? So we ensure that the downstream apps are not sort of broken, right? So our end-to-end app testing is helping make sure the transitions are working fine. the API testing helps us ensure the quality of the API themselves. Okay. Also in the last two years, your team has also grown. And uh, you did mention that you look for certain qualities when you're hiring. So how was that uh, baked into the strategy of transforming your whole platform? Yeah. So yeah, I think uh, like, like today, uh, technology and the soft skills, both are sort of extremely uh, important. And uh, as I think I was commenting earlier, technology is going to change right? by, by the time we hire and by the time uh, right, it's like sort of five years, technology has changed. So we do look for people who are energetic and uh, willing to learn new things, who sort of see change as an opportunity to learn. And uh, we look for those characteristics. We've done interview sort of training 
for our, all our interviewers as well to sort of focus on these aspects. Our evaluation also has been sort of changed into all these things. Right? So we have separate sections to evaluate the soft skills, the values that our company has and how their personal values also are sort of aligned to that. And um, um, another thing, part of the scaling, yeah, this is part of getting the right people into the team. When we were much smaller, people used to come, be able to communicate in different mm-hmm. ways and knew each other and they could just get things done. Right? Mm-hmm. As we scale, when newer people are coming, they don't have that sort of knowledge baked into that, which is sort of assumed by existing people. So we had to focus a lot on those initiatives of increasing, for example, our um, automation, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that uh, when a new person is coming in and checking in code, there is this safety net of the automation test that is provided to them to be safe to make changes and see whether it works or not. Um, Mm -hmm. We increased sort of the uh, level of the code reviews, uh, et cetera, interviews, right, tools, mm-hmm. and uh, also introduce all these tests to be run before code request is merged. Okay. Right? So again, it helps us onboard people and able to get them to start having impact much, much uh, sooner. We've also had a documentation, some people call it uh, documentation marathons, mm-hmm. to uh, put into writing a lot of the architecture design because as I said, we moved from the early architecture to the new architecture, a lot of changes in short periods of time. Mm-hmm. And um, so when new people come in, these, I think one person who joined recently actually told us that this is greatly helping me. Uh, okay. Design doc that we had. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was again proof that uh, there is an ROI in these things. So all these things are helping scale people faster. Yeah. So far we spoke about uh, migrating or transforming the current platform. But in terms of the problem space itself, you do a lot of analytics and inherently there is a lot of uncertainty in that or exploratory nature in terms of how even the algorithms kind of evolve. So how do your teams handle those? This is one one thing that we are still continuing to work on. So one of the things that we introduced into the thing is um, some some kind of uh, A-B testing uh, called Mm -hmm. as uh, multi-arm bandit. Testing. So the say in, in our in our domain, right? There are different strategies that can be on the ad tech domain, different strategies that can be put to use to deliver the campaigns. And mm. certain strategies may work better than other strategies. And we can hypothesize, we can say this should work better, etc. But there are thousands of uh, campaigns running at uh, across the world at any point of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I think, better to actually see the performance in production and then use that. So this, in one of our products, we are using a couple of our products, we are using this um, algorithm to create sort of experiments of these uh, strategies or the end result of the analytics, right? So after we analyze the data or not, we come out with a recommendation of this is the strategy that worked mm-hmm. for this particular campaign. So we allocate different sort of budgets to this and experiment and uh, see how it is working. And then that is fed back. So all this is measured against the KPI of the campaign. Mm -hmm. And uh, if if the the strategy which is helping meet us the KPI better sort of is given more weightage uh, sort of going forward. And this is a cyclical feedback. Okay. 
So in all this, how was uh, your own transition from a techie, not necessarily over the career, to a leader? Yeah, so I think, uh, I've, I've, as I said, I started off with applications and went to database, then um, I went into software and service in e-commerce, then um, Informatica, which is a data, a big data processing company, and then now in ad tech uh, domain and acute digital. So one of the things that I've considered important for myself is to keep being um, adaptable. Right? So that is something that I focus on and sort of challenge myself and sort of each of these jobs has been sort of completely sort of different. Apps to infrastructure, to SaaS, to again enterprise and now to tech. Mm. And so since I've sort of consciously focused on that, right? So somewhat even maybe seeking that change to challenge myself in a newer domain, newer technologies. And hence it's been sort of uh, fairly uh, smooth sailing once I've sort of accepted the challenge and Mm -hmm. wanted to actually make it um, happen. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that's been my journey, right? Seeking out challenges, be adaptable, learn, keep learning. So how do you handle stress at work? Uh, Yeah, so I think stress... Yeah, at work is, I think, becoming sort of uh, more and more common and prevalent. And I think when I started off, wasn't I didn't heard that much of stress at work. Maybe I was unaware or maybe, and I think internet was also, I think, coming around that time. Maybe now we are aware of this more. I don't know whether it was there and not available to, available to be shared with people. Now, now definitely people are talking Mm. More and more of stress at work. We at uh, company have a program to sort of help people. How do how I think best to yeah. So I, I think you introduced to me the term of uh, I think uh, SQ, IQ, EQ, yeah, EQ and SQ, which is I think the spiritual quotient, right? Mm. So yeah, so I for the past. Uh, Maybe four or five years, I've been spending more more time on that. So okay. uh, that is helping me tremendously to sort of, uh, again, accept uh, certain things. And I wouldn't say accept stress, but accept uh, mm. certain things at work, right? Whether it's uh, conflicts or whether it is uh, deadlines. And then sort of work towards that. And I think acceptance, once that is there, again, friction, which causes stress, doesn't seem to be happening as much. I don't say it's totally absent for me, mm-hmm. but uh, able to I think manage it quite well with that. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Because one question that I like to ask all our guests at the end is your advice for people who are considering getting into software or who are about to get into software as a career. One, the questions they have are, uh, is there a future for software? Because everybody says that everything is going to be automated and then what kind of a job will we have, etc. The second is many of them see the software uh, professionals putting in a lot of long hours saying, would we have a life outside of office? So what would be your advice to them? Okay. Yeah, I think definitely we need more people coming into software. A lot of lot of opportunities and a uh, lot of and lot of interesting opportunities. Right? Again, ability to express oneself uh, much more quickly. There, so I think it's the probably the most changing industry, if I can maybe say that. I, I might be biased coming from a software industry, but relatively to all other functions, I think software sees the most change. So if people like that and uh, they want to constantly learn, I think 
that's software is a great place to be in. Coming to the thing, right? Whether automation is going to take over, take over things, right? Um, I'm, I'm thinking that see, these challenges are always going to be there, right? I think we had studied in small uh, school that when the railways came, uh, people were afraid of that. And mm it's going to take over their jobs when um, right i think any change right when mncs came into india maybe the psu employees were afraid that uh, they take over their jobs right but i think that way i see even all the automation and all that as one a different kind of competition that is coming mm-hmm. and um, since you i i firmly believe i think this is again the, i've seen a debate on linkedin as well i think humans are sort of far superior because the software is created by us I think, yeah, someone posted me some different thing posting by Elon Musk versus Ma. I think I, I subscribe to the thing that Jack Ma said that uh, humans create software. And so far, mm. software hasn't created humans and I don't think that's going to happen. So even if we automate things, there, there will be other opportunities that open up that uh, the software developers can uh, develop for. So, yeah, and I think uh, my take is that, that uh, I don't think that is going to change anything for um, people who can continue to find new opportunities and develop software over there. I think the third thing about the long hours in uh, software, etc. right? So I, I do hear that a lot from software people, but I do see it a lot in other functions. For some reason, they don't talk about it that much. <laughs> I've seen, uh, I've worked with uh, accountants right, as part of my building thing. My, some of my relatives are in the legal profession. And mm-hmm. I think they spend, I think, a lot more time as well. But So I think it's overall, I think everyone is really, really working more and more hard uh, every day. And uh, right, because everyone else is doing that, I think it becomes like a prisoner's dilemma. And if I don't, what happens? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it's particular to software. So I think, yeah. I think the general any work, it's happening. And I think people should take a balanced uh, outlook, right? So I do see that also starting to happen now. Now, even in India now that nothing are per capita is going up and people are coming out of necessities to things that they want to have or even luxuries, you now people are able to have these choices. Right? One of my friends has uh, put his son into a school which is not like a regular school. Right. So he's made this conscious choice that of taking him out of the uh, thing. So similar to that, I think people mm-hmm. should make their choices, have time for everything, right? have time for family, have time for hobbies and uh, friends. And um, I keep telling my folks that if you are work hard while you're working off on weekends, or if you've taken a vacation, completely sort of switch off from uh, work. Right. If there's a really, really emergency, someone will call you. Um, you don't need to be sort of checking email or responding to Slack messages, etc. I think even if we do that, switch off at, after sort of putting in your full day of work, completely mm-hmm. switch off and do other things. I think that um, stress will go away and you'll be able to better manage. Yeah, that's very nice and reassuring on two counts. One, that there is still future in software and people can get into software and there is life beyond software as well even when you're in software yeah yeah, definitely yeah that was a very interesting uh, conversation ram uh, that's about all the time we have for today sure so thanks a lot for taking the time and sharing your thoughts and uh, we haven't covered your hobbies and other things maybe that's for another day sure thank you thank you shiv um very nice talking to you as well 
If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that, please get in touch with us at podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. There is podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com. Please rate the show on Podchaser, Stitcher, iTunes, or any other podcast client that you find us on. Please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network. If you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show, do write to us at this email address, podcast at pm-powerconsulting.com.